It's Norm Holy for WFHB, and today I'm interviewing uh, Dr. Jeff White. He is at SPIA at IU. He is an expert on the Arctic. Would you explain to our listeners uh, what your research is intended to, to accomplish? Yes. Well, thanks, first of all, for uh, inviting me to participate in your program. My, my research program is focused uh, on how the Arctic landscape uh, is responding to the rapid warming that's occurring there because that's a critical piece of the larger set of uh, challenges, questions that we face uh, regarding future climate on Earth. Um, so uh, when we think about climate, Earth climate, it's hard to imagine that the that what happens in the Arctic actually affects the entire planet climate system, but it's in fact the case. There's lots of ways that those effects play out. Uh, one that I think many of your listeners would understand is that when snow and ice comes and goes, it uh, changes the reflectivity of Earth, and so that affects the Earth's uh, heat budget. So the more reflective the Earth's surface is, the less of the sun's energy is captured, and more is reflected back to space, called albedo. Um, and, uh, and that's a big part of Earth's energy budget, which drives its climate. One phenomenon, one that I do not directly study, is the changing coverage of the Earth um, by ice and snow. That, uh, that is happening fairly rapidly, that uh, snow and ice cover is decreasing as the systems warm in the Arctic. And they, as I said, affect the energy budget by um, decreasing the reflectivity of the Earth's surface, more energy is absorbed, but uh, they're also affecting sea level rise, um, the, and specifically the large ice sheets that are land-bound ice sheets, the Greenland ice sheet in the northern hemisphere and the Antarctic ice sheet in the southern hemisphere. Those two are um, in a process of melting, this is net loss of ice, and that water that's melted from those ice sheets uh, moves ultimately to the ocean and leads to ocean sea level rise. So there are two components to sea level rise. Uh, one is the addition of water that's coming from these ice sheets, and the other is just thermal expansion. When water warms, it takes up greater volume. So both of those are contributing to the sea level rise that we're uh, currently seeing and which is projected to continue to accelerate. My research is actually focused on the non-ice-covered portions of the Arctic. Um, I'm interested in how, as permafrost thaws in these Arctic landscapes, um, there's carbon stored in those soils, um, in these frozen soils, which becomes activated as those soils warm, and that organic material that's stored in those soils has the potential to be decomposed to carbon dioxide and methane. Both are strong greenhouse gases. So um, one could imagine that if, if that carbon begins to get converted from soil carbon to atmospheric CO2 and methane, those greenhouse gases could add to a multiplying effect of the warming on Earth. So that is kind of a nutshell description of the, the work that I'm doing. So the modeling community is trying to improve their descriptions of the drivers of climate and uh, be able to more effectively predict future climate conditions. Uh, one of the 
component to the models, which is not well developed, is incorporating this conversion of stored carbon and permafrost soil um, and on these landscapes, incorporating the rate of conversion of that to greenhouse gases. The uh, global circulation models, um, these larger components of the climate system are better well-known, well-constrained, but right now the current uh, climate models don't have the feedback that I described. And, and it's not there because they don't have enough information to be able to include those in a mathematical way. So, so what we're, our results are helping them to do is develop actual components to their models that would incorporate these effects in being able to quantify future carbon dioxide, future methane, and future temperature conditions as the Arctic warms. So it's called a positive feedback loop. Um, The warming generates more greenhouse gases, which begets more warming, and so you have this multiplier phenomenon. And as I said, currently the models uh, don't have uh, much in them uh, to incorporate those effects. I'd like to ask you about whether there are any um, methane hydrates actually on on land uh, underneath, uh, say, the Greenland ice sheet. Is there enough pressure there to form those and they're retained in the soil, or are there no methane hydrates uh, land-based? I don't think that the methane hydrate story is uh, at all a significant um, land mass issue. These are uh, typically associated with the deeper ocean sediment environments. The uh, soil thickness in much of the Arctic um, is not sufficiently large. There's you know, significant bedrock below. Uh, even though they're permafrost and frozen year-round uh, to great depth, hundreds of meters, you know, the soil system is not all that well-developed. It's not that deep in most places. So much of the hydrates are stored in these deep ocean sediments, deeper ocean sediments, and some of them have um, destabilized to release methane to the atmosphere through um, the, the bubbles that are released coming up through the water column and then entering the atmosphere. And that's a whole other story. That's not research that I do, um, but there are certainly people studying using uh, acoustical systems, trying to determine what those, where those deposits are, and then uh, trying to study how stable or unstable they are in changing ocean conditions. Let me ask you about over your years of experience in the, in the Arctic, what visually are you seeing happening? Well, uh, there are a couple things that um, are quite striking on that landscape if you spend time there. The most dramatic is the receding ice sheet itself. So in Greenland, uh, we work right along the edge of the Greenland ice sheet. So we can see from our field area, we can see that ice sheet edge. We can also actually go right up to the edge of it and walk up onto the ice sheet from the landscape that we work on. And every time we go, and we, uh, we've been going both summer and winter, every time we go, the leading edge has receded, not just feet or yards, but hundreds of yards. Um, and it's not only the edge that is receding, but the whole ice sheet itself is deflating. So the total volume that you, that you see when you come up to the edge is, is, uh, is just deflated. 
and of course all of that is leaving as major flows in the rivers. Um, so we have to move from our uh, the area that we work along the edge of the airfield, we, we have to move along a major river system that drains off the, the glacier. And during the summer months, um, we've also noticed extremely high flow rates in that river, um, unprecedented, actually, discharge flow rates in the rivers. So it's another visual to remind us of the drama that's taking place on the ice sheet itself. Uh, there's a bridge that uh, the local community has depended on for many, many years. It was built, I think, during World War II when the airfield was built. And uh, so that's what, early 1940s. And that bridge was swept away a couple of years ago after uh, some very heavy floods that came from the rapid melting of the ice sheet. Uh, so the ice sheet disappearance is a very dramatic thing to see. And then the other thing that we've noticed is that some of the plant cycles are changing. So when when uh, shrubbery is budding and, you know, caribou come through and eat the buds on, on these uh, stunted willow bushes, for example, and the timing of those, that budding is, has, has actually disconnected from the, the normal patterns of migration of the caribou. So there are some ecology and biology that's observable as well as, as climate changes in the Arctic. Very interesting. I've been speaking with Dr. Jeff White today about changes in the Arctic. I really appreciate your comments. Thank you very much. Oh, you're, you're very welcome, Norm.